Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Trish, look what I'm holding up on the camera, especially for you here. Oh, my goodness. It's a mug with us on the front of it. It's a mug with some mugs on it. See what I did there? (laughs) It says postcards from midlife. And it's basically the kind of thing you have on a TV show, isn't it? When you're hosting some oh, kind of yes. ladies, ladies TV show, as my husband yes. would refer to them. But you've got one and I haven't. I'm very upset. No, there's one for you. Oh. Two for my birthday, one for me and one for you. Oh, a joint birthday present. That's so sweet. We'll be giving joint speeches at weddings soon. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin and I'm Lorraine Candy and we're on a mission to tackle all the big and small issues that affect women at this stage of our life from insomnia to mind and body wellness HRT to sex drive careers and relationships and as always the challenges and joys of parenting teens. In today's episode we're going to be talking to one of our old magazine peers from way back in the 90s who like us began his career on teen magazines but then unlike us, went on to become a hugely successful novelist, telling funny and poignant stories about the lives, loves, highs and lows of a really interesting cast of characters. Yes, we're going to be joined by Mike Gale, who's going to reveal what's going on in the minds of midlife men. We'll also be discussing how the way we were parented impacts our own parenting style. So, Lorraine, I I hear you've made a little breakthrough on the sleep front this week. Yes, I have. Trish, unexpected breakthrough. Um, Didn't Mm. think it would work. But um, for two weeks, every day, I've been taking a 250 milligram tablet of magnesium because I think real kind of insomnia Mm. again, not not kind of, I don't think it's perimenopause or menopause. So it's not the waking up at four, it's the not going to sleep time? Not being able to go to sleep. I would Mm. call it restless rather than no sleep, maybe not insomnia, more um, restless. But this has made such an enormous difference. I can't, honestly, I can't tell you, go to bed, go straight to sleep, alarm wakes me up at 6.30. It's really Oh, that sounds amazing. Did a bit of digging around um, and often, and it's really common more in women than men to be magnesium deficient. We just don't have enough of it in our diet. It's in um, leafy greens. It's in quite a lot of dairy. It's in meat. It's protective of hearts and bones as well. And it's also known as a mood stabilizer. It's often prescribed. So it's actually kind of officially recognized. There's a lot of science behind it. Mm -hmm. And I would say for me, it has worked. A lot of fitness people recommend it for what they call the restless leg syndrome. Uh, Oh, yes. Leg in the night. You could wear, Mm. you could have a heavier blanket or whatever. But actually, and it's also very good if you've got sore muscles as well. They kind of, physios recommend it as well. I think I've heard about people sitting in magnesium baths. They do so. Full of all of that sporty people. Yeah, I think I've heard about that. Very nice. Shall I tell you about my little sleepy thing? I've been given um, a bottle of this amazing stuff. It's by that lovely beauty brand, Balance Me, and it's called Beauty Sleep Hyaluronic Mist. 
so bear with me on this. So it smells absolutely amazing. It's got lavender, valerian, St. John's wort. So all of those lovely calming things, lovely smelly things. Basically, the idea is you spray it on your hands, you inhale it, you get this lovely relaxing waft, and then you um, gently... <laughs> apply it to your chest just really nice and it's the sort of thing I think it costs about 20 pounds and I think that's the sort of thing if somebody gave that to me as a birthday present which I was given it as a present is just the most gorgeous thing you know when you buy things for people or you mm. want to treat yourself to something that's a nice one are you a pajamas or a night dress or a nude pajamas, kind of a person pajamas. going to bed Oh, me too. Silk pajamas, snap. They're quite nice, my green. <laughs> and then, during my lockdown days, I was known to go to the shops in them. Oh, well, there oh. is this sort of whole uh, pajama as fashion thing, isn't there? What footwear would you wear with that? Um, I would be wearing my Birkenstocks. Oh, yes. Okay. My outnet Stella McCartney slides, which I bought oh. for £30. £30, though, Trish. £30. Oh, very nice. good. Bargain. Made some sustainable um, cotton. Really lovely. I think we need to see them. a picture of you in that on the Instagram, in, in your slippers. Well, and your... I think if you were to go to my teenage daughter's uh, Snapchat, they were merrily taking pictures of mum <laughs> going out in her pyjamas. They said, look, she's, a, she's wandering the streets in her pyjamas. Oh. They're horrible to me. Horrid. Oh. To me. <laughs> anyway, we will actually be talking to a sleep expert later on um, in the series, because I know it's something that particularly during menopause and perimenopause is really, really important. It's something we get asked about all the time, this kind of loss of sleep, this terrible anxious insomnia. So we're going to ask someone why and how we can cure it. Now it's time to meet our special guest, novelist Mike Gale. Mike began his career in journalism in the 90s. He was features editor of Just 17 magazine and was also the agony uncle on Bliss magazine with a very popular Ask Mike page. His first book, My Legendary Girlfriend, was published in 1998 and he has since written 14 further novels, including Half a World Away, which was chosen for the Richard and Judy Book Club. He lives in Birmingham with his wife, Claire, and has two teenage daughters. Hi, Mike. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Now, as I'm sure you know, this podcast is all about what happens to women in their midlife, but we want to find out how it's going for the men of our generation too. I mean, we could ask our husbands, but we'd, we'd much rather ask you. Um, so yeah, what do you think? What's going on for you guys right now? Dear me. I think it, it's, it's a really strange one because, um, you know, for me personally, I'm mainly thinking about my kids. So um, I've got two daughters um, and one's just turned 17 and one's 14. So we're sort of focused on them and we're sort of focused on the fact that, you know, this time next year, she could be preparing to leave home, which is, I find terrifying. For a lot of men my age, it, it's all over the place. I've got friends who are really thinking about health and so they're really focused on, um, you know, sort of doing marathons and Ironman triathlons and that sort of thing. Um, but equally, I've got um, mates who um, I've, I'm thinking of one in particular who he's had a lot of relationships, but he's, he's currently single. And I think he's really I think he's really sort of struggling with that. This all the sort of sense of. Right. OK, so it doesn't look like I'm going to have kids. I'm doesn't look like I'm going to have a family. And at the minute, I'm not even, haven't even got a partner. So it, it's, people are all over the place. Do you and look then, in the mirror and think, what's going on here? What's going on here? What's going on there? Do men do that? 
<laughs> Honestly, it, 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 it terrifies me sometimes because it, it's something that's been going on, I suppose, for since my 30s. Just the whole thing of your 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 metabolism slowing down. So yeah. I used to, you know, as, I remember as a student, I, I would just, snap, you know, I'm hungry. I'll just snap on a box of hobnobs and, you know, that'd be it. And, you know, we'd just go out and do whatever. And then suddenly all of those decisions that you make in terms of your eating suddenly have a consequence. In the last, I'd say probably about seven years, I've taken my my health really seriously. Uh, I've lost quite a lot of weight. Um, and I am starting to think more about my mental health as well. And again, that's something yeah. that a, a lot of my friends are starting to think about. We have to look after ourselves. It's not just a question of our youth will sort of see us through. And you wrote the novel Turning 30 in 2000, probably when you were about 30. That's and then correct, you yes. followed up with Turning 40. You're going to be 50 this year. So uh, should we be expecting Turning, turning 50, 50 anytime soon? People have been asking me about Turning 50 for a long time. And um, and I think one of the things I was really conscious of, when I, especially when I wrote Turning 40, um, was that I wanted to feel like... I've gone through it so that therefore I can talk about it. So I didn't want to write about it on my approach to there. I wanted to sort of, and then it just feels like from the moment I've turned 49, suddenly it started to write itself. It, it, it's, yes, it's, you know, it's like the break off and off you speed down the hill. And it's a classic thing that you've been talking about in your podcast. It's suddenly, I really feel like I've reached midlife. I know people who have retired now, you know, so people who have retired now aren't the people that I imagine them to be. It's a bit of a shock, isn't it? I think that's one of the themes um, of our podcast. You know it's coming, you know you're halfway through, <laughs> yes. you, you know you've got less left than you've had, so you're sort of more than halfway through, but it's all, for men and women, still quite a shock, isn't it? Filling in the forms that say which age group you're in, you think, well, I'm not in that age group. <laughs> I think the thing is, it's, it's like 30-year-olds. It's like when people turn 30, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, they're not that much older than 20 years older. Than, I'm 20 years older than these 30-year-olds. I mean, how can I be 20 years older than a 30-year-old? It makes no sense at all. <laughs> and I, it, there's so much mythology, I think, as well, about being a 20-something or being a 30-something. And so, you know, even in writing a book called Turning 30, it, it felt 30 feels like, you know, this is the finish line. This is when you're a proper adult. And, you know, and after that, it's it's all plain sailing. But we need, a, you know, one of the reasons to write a book like Turning 50 is to say, actually, the world is orientated around young people. And there is less and less mythology for people our age. One of the things that um, I, I, in talking about Turning 50, it's not a particularly sexy no. thing, is it? No. Um, it's, if it's, I say menopause out loud, that's not sexy. No one thinks that's sexy. <laughs> exactly. And it, it, shriek. <laughs> one of your recent books, uh, Mike, The Man I Think I Know, you wrote about yeah. friendship and overcoming adversity and how difficult it is. It was about these two two male friends or former friends, wasn't it? Do you think, right. um, I mean, we talk a lot about the fact that as women, we're not very good at asking for help. Do you think the same is true of men? That's, that's really interesting that you should say that because I would have said the opposite. I would have said that women are far better at asking for help than men. And quite often, um, especially with my group of male friends, we only find out that they have been going through something after the 
the event, you know, whatever it may be. And it's, it's a shame because it, it feels like we're, we're, we're sort of falling into these sort of stereotypes. And, you know, we do try and be there for each other. But generally speaking, when we meet together, it's all the things that we used to talk about in our 20s and 30s. And we don't really talk about our inner lives, our emotional lives. Um, whereas when I, when I look at my wife's um, friends, they are much more open to the idea of asking for help. And I think it's a shame that we, men don't do that. I, I, I do think it's a, I think we'd all be better off if men actually did say, actually, I am struggling with this. If I were to say the word um, from a woman's point of view, perimenopause to you, Mike, would you know what that means? <laughs> Have you heard that word? Do you know what? I didn't know what it meant. Until, oh, I'll sneeze um, last year, until last year. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know what it meant until uh, a mate of mine, a female mate, uh, another author, she was talking about perimenopausal women. And I actually actually asked her, I said, I, I don't know what you mean. And then she told me. And because I was coming on here, you know, I, I, I just thought, well, what do I know about the menopause and anything? And I don't know anything. <laughs> it, it, I was quite shocked by how little I knew. And in talking to my wife about it, she didn't know very much about oh. it either. Both people who have mentioned it to me, both women, are quite forthright women. The, the one was the one having the conversation about their being perimenopausal. And the other one was, um, as soon as they arrived, they just said, look, this is just too hot. You need to open windows. And they were really direct <laughs> about it. And I was sort of really shocked. And I just thought, this is strange. I've only just met this person. And normally people who have a, have a sort of loving persuasion are quite, you know, very gentle. Yes. And she was very forthright about, no, get these windows open now. And I was like, oh, actually, this sounds really Maybe horrible. it's not, <laughs> Maybe well, it's not yeah, legend. It, I was really shocked, yes. A lot of people we've talked to, women we've talked to, will be able to look back and say, oh, I know exactly when my mum went through the beginning of the menopause and the perimenopause because she went a bit mad <laughs> at the time. And all of that time, we just ignored our mum. My mum painted the whole of the um, garden shed black one day and when I look back I, there were lo- there were signs that led to that moment <laughs> and, but we now have a language to talk about it do you, is there anything you learned from your mum do you look back and think oh actually do you know what that was what was happening at that point in her life so when my mum must have been going through the menopause I was either just doing my A-levels or when I was at yes. university when I look back at that and I try to look for evidence there is none because I was away and then when I was home, I'd go straight out with my mates. If there's one thing that always sticks out in my mind, it was when I came back from university for the first Christmas break and there was a new clock on the wall and it chimed every hour. And I just said, oh, new clock, what made you buy that? She said, it was just too quiet without you. Oh. You know, suddenly really made me just like, oh, You've had this full house for, you know, the best part mm. of your adult life. That's always been, you know, three boys, really noisy and make, and then suddenly it's just you and my dad and silence, a lot of silence, and it, it was it was heartbreaking and all the more so, I suppose, as I think back at it now, as my first is about, you know, is a year away from from doing the same. 
You, you mentioned your wife, uh, Claire. I believe you've been married for, well, 23, 24 years, which is, is it? Yes, met yes. in your early 20s. So you clearly know a thing or two about making a success of relationships. What, what do you think is, what do you and Claire get right, do you think? She is just really nice to be around. Um, so it makes it easy. I think we work because we we talk and you know she's the person I'm closest to in the world so she was made uh, unemployed well she was made redundant sorry probably about four or five years ago and I just said well listen we we haven't got the kids forever if you want to stay home you know then I think you should stay home and um and so she's a full-time mom and she helps me with my work and I, I I'd really struggle without her and so because of that I think we, we just we get on well I think we'd have to get on well otherwise we would have killed each other by now so you have two teenage daughters as you said yeah. how do you get involved in your teenage girls lives because one of the things we do on postcards from midlife is we look at the fact that there is a kind of perfect storm for women at this age you're you some of us are un, completely unraveling and just as we unravel our teenagers are becoming our children are becoming teenagers and it's slightly more challenging to deal with them how are you dealing with that with your teenage girls um, talking well, about women women's lives and changing of women's lives if i try to talk to my teenage my, my both my girls about <laughs> women's lives they would shrink into a small ball and wouldn't come out until I'd left the room you know I don't tease them about things I don't in, in that so I'm quite open and they can come to me. I feel like I've made it clear that they can come to me with anything but I think they would sooner go to my wife than talk to me about anything like that I'm I'm for other stuff um and it's, do I feel, I, I suppose it's what works for them. So it, it works for them. And, you know, Claire's there so they can talk to her, but I'm there for anything else. Do I wish that they would talk to me about stuff like that? I'm not necessarily sure. Um, <laughs> Quite a responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Am I right in thinking you had a, a female best friend for, as a teenager? Yes, yeah, no, I still, I still have, yes, yes, yeah. Okay, talk, tell us about yeah. that. That's interesting. So you still, she's still your best friend? My friend Jackie, I've known her since we met at sixth form, um, back when we were, we were 16, 17. And uh, we ended up going to the same university, so she came a year after me. And uh, we, we've just been absolutely, you know, we just, we bonded over music and um she was just like my, my sort of go-to uh, friend. And so when I was getting married, um, it just made sense to have, um, rather than have a best man, to have a best woman. What's nice about having a female, a close female friend is that I can have those conversations with her that I wouldn't, I know for a fact that I wouldn't be able to have with my male friends. This generation uh, of men, do you think? Do you think younger men might be more? Well, it, it, what's interesting is, is that we're, I'm, I, I know for a fact that we're more open than our parents' generation. Yeah. Um, because we've all spoken about it. But even knowing that within a group dynamic, it, we still talk about the impersonal. It's always about the impersonal. Trish, how would you feel if Neil, Neil had a best woman? What do you think? Um, I think it, the idea of him being able to talk 
intimately and emotionally to somebody else I think it would be a good thing because I think like like you were saying Mike I think so many men don't feel they can do that or they don't almost some some of them don't have the vocabulary or the language yeah. to be able to do it and you know I've seen instances of you know friends family who've ended up men at this age who've ended up in some very kind of quite bad dark places and I think in midlife, it's easier to lose friends. I think women work hard at keeping friends and maybe guys don't because it's just the business of life, isn't it? It's like life is busy. You get consumed by your kids. And if you start letting the, you know, the social stuff go, then I think that's really problematic. So I would absolutely encourage Neil, not that he needs any encouragement, to go, <laughs> to go out <laughs> for a curry, to the pub, whatever, whatever it is, you know. So I'm very much, you know, like when you're in your 20s and your 30s and it's a bit much you're like oh can you just stay in please but now it's a bit like actually you know you really should you should be going out and you should be talking to your friends you make a really good point there about the effort it takes to sort of maintain your friendships my wife she not only has maintained her relationships from the past but she's very good at making new friendships and so you know it, it, it almost sounds like a cliche but she she literally can just go out to the shops and by the time she's come back she'll have made a new friend so either oh, just I to don't chat to someone you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jane, well, James, James does, does that, that as oh, well god it's annoying and now I have to talk to everyone on the high street as well about everything because they all know everything because he goes out and makes friends with everybody oh, it's not see, it's I don't no do that at all. guidelines no. on it at all. I think <laughs> you, need, you need one of those in the relationship I, I don't think I'd like him having a female best friend either but then I'm a bit ridiculously jealous and probably quite insecure as we know Trish mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we like to keep everything upbeat and positive and stuff to look forward to and one of the things um, I'm looking forward to Trish too is your new book All the Lonely People do you want to tell us the roughly what it's about without giving too much away so it's it's about uh, a pensioner called Hubert Bird and uh, he's originally from the West Indies and his only connection to the outside world are his weekly phone calls that he has with his daughter who lives in Australia when he and his daughter are talking, um, because he doesn't want her to worry about him, he sort of invented some friends that he says that he's doing all sorts of activities with. Everything sort of goes wrong when her, his daughter um, makes her first visit home for a, a very long time. And so he suddenly discovers that he's got to create this world that he's um, set, told his daughter all about. So he has to go back out into the world and, and make some new friends. It's funny and it's uplifting, but it's... Yeah sad point poignant yeah. i think poignant, books are always poignant mike They're thank you poignant. very much so mike when, when's the book out the book's out now and you can buy it at all good bookshops as they say oh it's been so lovely talking to you mike thanks so thank much thank you very much hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that luxury quality within reach go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com style even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week, we're going to be discussing why and how we parent our children differently to the way our mums and dads brought us up. Um, so, Lorraine, what, what do you think you're doing differently to your mum and dad? Well, I think I would be described by my mum as a shockingly liberal parent mm. that spoils my children because I like to listen rather than tell them what to do in the majority of the situations we face. But I think our parents, that generation, so we're Gen X, so they were boomers, I guess, baby boomers. They are very much, they were very much about telling us what to do. I think the other thing that's, that's we were smacked. That's, yeah, know. yeah, we were. And I think it, it was, it was perfectly fine to smack your kids, wasn't it, back in the day? And of course, it's really terrible when you think I about it. Well, do you know, we used to be, um, we used to get a little smack on the bottom with a wooden spoon. And that was the thing that mum... <laughs> would threaten us with it was like right I'm going to get the wooden spoon which was usually when we were squabbling and rowing and being just hideous to each other as as siblings it was that sort of screaming and chaos that's going on in the house and it just drove her over the edge I think so but it doesn't doesn't work no I mean I've looked at kind of um lots of theories and research on this it does it doesn't work I mean you have to be firm and there have to be boundaries I guess we always knew our boundaries they were very clear in my childhood yeah and I've also heard that our parents have been called the silent generation because they kind of they just let you get on with it didn't didn't they while they worked well, really I left home hard and, <laughs> yeah exactly and I mean the way they showed love was by working hard and providing a really good life for us because they inevitably well certainly for me my parents came from the west of Ireland grew up in very large very poor families um, and they had to come to London in the late 50s early 60s with, with literally with nothing and had to kind of create a life so to them creating you know having a home with central heating and all of those things yeah. was them showing how much they had done for us and loved us maybe the communication wasn't as much as we Gen Xers like to do with our kids because we really like to talk to them and be involved in the detail of their lives yes I think what happened um as well and it's it certainly happened particularly with women and around equality is our parents really wanted us to have opportunities and chances so when we entered the workplace we slightly had that having it all thing in our head as well that we were driven to do it because we wanted to make the most of all the opportunities we had now been given by the previous generation and that sort of has led us a little bit to really valuing the things that we have I mean I'm very much like you I come from a kind of very normal working class background my parents couldn't afford a house so my dad had a job that came with a house for a long time so we value all of that stuff and then we've got very busy and actually the thinking now is much more that the stuff we have around us the environment around us as long as it's safe and loving that's much more important than the things that we have I think the other thing that we need that I've read a lot about and it's in the Philippa Perry book which is I just can't recommend that book enough is that you bring into the room as a parent your inner child so how you were parented and the mm-hmm. child you were and all those feelings come into the room with you in the book she tells a 
brilliant story of a client um, of hers who was used to get incredibly cross with their very small child for climbing things. She used to really shout at her for danger. She thought, I'm protecting her. It's all about health and safety. I can't bear the thought of her falling. Actually, what was going on when they unpicked it was as a child, she had been told not to do these those things. She'd been really treated as a princess. And what she was really feeling was jealousy that her young child was able to do that and to climb all those things. So the anger was out of proportion with what was actually going on. And when mm. she stepped back and realized that, she was really cross that she wasn't allowed to do it. And I think it always does to step back and think, why am I so cross about this? What happened in my childhood? What's the message underneath? What's going on? I think similarly for me, like, you know, we would never have been taken out to restaurants. We had the occasional wimpy trip to wimpy. <laughs> or, or eating in the car. Do you remember that? Lots of eating in the car at the beach because it was too cold so to sit outside. <laughs> You know, we're, we're taking our kids to restaurants and, you know, from a young age. And, uh, and I, I think I had a similar thing to that lady you were talking about, where it used to really annoy me if they muck about at the table or they would, you know, yes, just be kids, yeah. uh, you know, flinging their bits of pizza around or whatever. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that harks back to my sense of my child of like, I would never have been allowed to do that. I would never have had this opportunity. So I, ha- I definitely brought that to, to the table. You are triggered with that very fashionable word triggered by what's happening you just need to be aware of it I think you need to think about and then with your partner as well when you're both parenting together you're, you're both parenting together as adults and being the adults is the toughest bit of it not trying to be their friends not trying to be desperately liked and loved mm-hmm. all the time and polish your parenting affection halo you've got to have the boundaries mm-hmm. as well and you've got to be the adult in the room at all times and that's the most patient bit of parenting isn't it and the most difficult Mm -hmm. bit of it do you think then from what you've read and the you know the experts that you've spoken to that it is worth just spending a bit of time thinking about your own childhood Mm. and maybe trying to think about what was good and what you bring into it and what maybe you could adjust or change I went to um, a talk by a doctor American therapist called Dr Brad Reedy Um, it was absolutely fascinating so I think it's worth looking him up and until you've identified and you're at peace with yourself, it is quite difficult not to expect your children to heal bits of you, not to get from them what would make you feel better. Them be feeling responsible for making you happy about your parenting is quite, <laughs> it's quite a big thing to ask, I think. He, he recommends we should all have therapy around our parenting, whether we've come from traumatic backgrounds um, or really loving care, what we see as really loving, caring backgrounds. It's all about identity, isn't it? And particularly with teenagers, they are forming their identity and the sense of self is the most important thing to them. It's above everything else. And if you haven't got a good sense of your own self, you're going to affect their sense of self. It's a fascinating area. Mm-hmm. I don't think overthink it because no. if our teenagers are different and you do have to say no quite a lot of the time because that's the safe thing to do, isn't it? When in doubt, say no. Where? <laughs> say, could you just go out and talk to dad? He, he'll know <laughs> about this. <laughs> he'll know what to do. <laughs> excited about your tried and tested Lorraine um well, don't you sent me excited. a photo <laughs> well you sent me a photo yes. and it really made me laugh well I've been trying this week a chin strap which just FYI separately of everything nothing to do with anything is a breed of penguin as well so the chin strap it's it's called a Huda H-U-D-A chin lift sculpting mask eight pounds you can buy them online but you can also buy them in boots the point of it is like a tiny mini facelift and to tighten your jaw and your chin. So as you get older, 
collagen off it goes bye bye collagen a little bit saggy around the edges and you know that thing you do in the mirror in the morning you think if I could just you hold your hands and you think if I could just pull it up a bit then it would look oh I know tighter um so you get you take it out and you stretch it across your chin and you put it over your ears and you leave it there for half an hour it looks ridiculous my oh uh, my god 18 year old looked at me and said well nearly 18 she said mum you've put your face mask on wrong you idiot I said well no I haven't <laughs> anyway you leave it on for half an hour um I've got really sensitive skin so normally I react to absolutely um everything but I didn't um took it off I <laughs> I think it made <laughs> you look completely different I didn't look uh oh. like Kate Moss in 1984 no I didn't at oh all. Um, but I did look line. a little bit different it, it did it does I, don't, I wouldn't say it gives you a jawline back. And let's remember, it's eight pounds and it's half an hour. It's not It's not any form of invasive mm. surgery and it's mm. quite pleasant. It's a nice thing to do. Um, I think it did tighten the skin slightly. I don't think that was a long-lasting effect, though, but it did tighten the skin slightly. It might be the kind of thing you might want to do before you go out, perhaps. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, that's and other good. People. So I've been um, making like a chin-strap penguin this week. What have you been <laughs> testing, Trish? Do you know what? I've been feeling a little bit glass half empty. You know, I think it's oh, the the kind eel. of mood of the moment. Everything's been so weird, and I just have been feeling. I'm just I've been feeling a little bit down about it, and just allowing negative thoughts to be a little oh, bit more prevalent dear. in my mind than they should. So I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try a bit positive thinking. I think it was a bit of a bandwagon thing, wasn't it, for a while, where there's just positive thinking books and everything about everything, and it was a bit like think your way to becoming a millionaire, that sort of <laughs> stuff. So. <laughs> So it was quite good at the beginning, but then it I've got a bit of a I've been thinking my rap. way to becoming J-Lo and it has not... Oh, you! It's not working, is it? Yeah. Maybe the chin strap will help. Um, but yeah, so I thought, right, I'm going to just do a little bit of research and see what's out there. And I I um, downloaded an app called Happify. It's not new, so some of you out there may have already heard about it. But I thought, well, I'll give it a go because, um, you know, I, I want to do something to try and stop being so blooming gloomy and uh, it was quite interesting Aww. it was quite a fun <laughs> fun little app and it's all about reducing stress and negative thoughts but it's all like little games you do little games and um the weirdest thing okay is that you chat with an artificial intelligence digital coach it was spookily good they ask you these no. questions and kind of pop up with these answers that are actually really quite good but anyway after doing some of it I just saw actually I'm not really an app technology sort of person in the sense of I'd rather read something about positive thinking than actually engage with an app so I thought right and I looked up an article on psychologytoday.com and it was all about positive thinking and I could see how the app had used this stuff as a basis really should I give you a couple of things that uh, that you have to what try if and they're do? going to upset me or... Uh, no, they're or not. They're going to make you feel positive. They're I don't want anything, any kind of navel-gazing activity. You know <gasps> I'm against it. It's not really. It, I know you are. But it's things like, so, using positive words and paying attention to positive words. So if you say, I'm not unhappy, that's no good. You have to say, I am happy, don't you? Yes, You can't say exactly. not in any you, sentence. Yeah, Exactly. And it's all just sort of paying attention to joyful words. Um, you're going to really like this one. This I don't think has. I am watching cat videos. <laughs> she yeah. actually, I tried it. They she would, said, they would make me very angry. And no, very they negative. wouldn't. Can well, I just tell I you? Know. I've just out my window as we are recording this. Mm. Next door's cat, which taunts me, is on my windowsill licking her bottom. 
It's deliberate. That's not making me feel positive. Oh, That's a no. live cat video. A live. Okay. But would watching a pair of cats playing a guitar make you feel happy? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be slightly confused what... that I was hallucinating. Well, it was brilliant. Yeah. But the point is just like have a little burst of something like that that kind of makes you laugh, makes you happy. and uh, But don't get sucked into it because then you'll start like feeling guilty about all the time you've wasted. <laughs> Looking at cats, it's a balance um, being a happy midlife woman, isn't it? Things. Two little other things. What's the app called again, Trish? Remind me. Happify is the app. Um, and then the, the other two quick things are don't minimise small successes. So you shouldn't say to yourself, oh, I only got this done today or that wasn't as good as it could have been. And then finally, stop the all or nothing thinking, which I think I've been doing. I which think is everyone the, in our generation oh, does God, I'm a, You're either a success or you're a failure or yeah. something was good or something was bad. And it's like, actually, you're not a complete failure just because you're not successful at everything. I really started feeling a lot better after practising some of this stuff and doing it. Yeah, so a bit of positive thinking. We like that. Should we do our nostalgia noodlings now, Lorraine? I've got a really relevant noodle now. Agony Ants making a comeback. Is this inspired by Mike? Lovely Mike. Because we talked about him being an agony uncle. That was his (laughs) agony uncle. Um, So, yes, so Dolly Alderton, who's one of our columnists in the Sunday Times style, is coming back to the magazine, uh, which I'm joyous about, because she's brilliant, Dolly, number one bestseller. And she's coming back as Dear Dolly. Oh, I like it. So we commissioned a bit of art to do um, a logo for the page, you know, in that kind of old school Agony Aunt. And then I went down such a lovely kind of trip down memory lane with Agony Aunt. So when I used to edit Cosmopolitan, uh, and Mike actually used to write for us at Cosmo, um, there was Irma Kurtz. Do you remember Irma Kurtz? Oh, legendary, legendary. 40 years as an Agony Aunt. Oh, amazing. And then I got to know, so E. Jean Carroll... Yes, who, who was American is, L, wasn't American she? American L's Ask E. Jean Agony Aunt. She did that um, for 26 years. She was the longest serving Agony Aunt in the States. She's also the woman who accused, has accused, alleged that uh, Donald Trump raped her in a mm-hmm. uh, changing room. But I made friends with E. Jean when I was editing L. She's just the most amazing oh. personality. Then I discovered that she had written one of my all-time favourite books as well. So I'm a huge fan of Hunter S. Thompson. And she wrote a kind of half-true, half-novel memoir um, about Hunter Thompson because she was friends with him when she was very, very young, in her mm. late teens. It's kind of oh my weird. goodness. It was the best nostalgia noodle down Well, it's the gone. It's gone in arc. a lot of directions. That everywhere. One, everywhere. It's now, everywhere. what have you been nostalgia noodling? Oh, I had a, quite a nice one. I heard Saturday Night Fever, like Night Fever, you know, the Bee Gees song, being yes. played in the room where I knew my son was watching the television. I thought, oh, hang on, what's going on here? So in I ran and he was watching Saturday Night Fever with John of his own accord. Of his own accord. Magnificent like, John Travolta in that. You know about outfit. this film. And he said, oh, I don't know. I just remember you guys talking about it. And I saw that it was on. So I thought I'd start watching it. And then he started, it was, you know, obviously the night fever disco scene <laughs> where they're doing all that sort of dancing in a row. And he said, mum, did you, did you used to do that? Did you do that? And did you? And I said, yes, we had those dance floors that used to light up and the glitter balls. And do you remember Oops Upside Your Head? Do you yes, remember? Yes, we have talked yes. about this before, but I, I demonstrated the wedding songs. It was played at weddings. Sitting on the floor, and we did that sort of weird rowing thing. 
I said to him, do you know what? If him and his mates did that night fever routine, the girls would just go mad for that, wouldn't they? TikTok the that, party, you can TikTok that. Oh Why don't you God. show him how to do it? Gorgeous 16-year-olds doing, doing that do, would be good, wouldn't it? That. Yeah. Oh, lovely. We've come to the end of another episode of Postcards from Midlife. I think the main thing that we've taken from this is you need to talk about your problems completely mm-hmm. unsurprised that um, a man may not know everything about the menopause in the same way that we <laughs> knew absolutely nothing about the menopause and had never heard of the word perimenopause ourselves a year ago. So if you enjoyed the episode, please do rate us and subscribe by your podcast provider. And we love to hear your stories. So do keep sending us all of those um, as well as your adventures to Postcards from Midlife website or our Facebook group. And we'll be back again this time next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. 